True Crime Tuesday, and now we've finally made it, I reckon, Yes. with this bloke. What about this bloke, ladies and gentlemen? 34 years in the police force, including 25 years in homicide investigation. That is a quarter of a century experience in armed hold-up squad, organised crime squad. He was a big part of the William Tyrrell investigation. Uh, and, uh, well, he's left the force but still wants to make a huge difference, and he's doing exactly that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking to the man, Gary Jubilant. Welcome to the run home with Joel and Fletch. Gaz, g'day. How are you guys? Going good. You look, good. you look great, Gaz. How old are you? Uh, I'm 60. Gosh. No way! Far yeah. out! Yeah. <laughs> What's the secret then? Yeah. What's the secret? Uh, living a good life. No, I have, I have no idea. I, I train, train all the time. I, uh, yeah, I've, I've always, always trained, so that yeah. sort of keeps me, keeps me sane. But saying that, like, I like to uh, let the hair down a little bit. Don't make a comment. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> when, when I say let the hair down. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. So for but, our listeners, there's not much on top. For, yeah, but for uh, Gaz. yeah, just uh, enjoying life. I yeah. think. And you love your surfing, Gaz, do you? Yeah, I don't surf as much as I uh, would like to, and my ability is probably, well, my estimation of my ability is probably above as you, you get on in life a little bit. It's a little bit harder to get up on the, on the feet, but we still uh, still have a go, a few mates that we catch up with. Can I ask you this, mate? So, you were, were you sort of, uh, after you left the force, was this something that you wanted to get into, like podcasting and, and the media and that sort of stuff, or was it uh, basically that's the avenue that you had to do it, it sort of found me because yeah. when uh, when i left the police in let's describe it as controversial circumstances mm. i was charged and, and convicted uh, under the listening devices act not a real serious offense I, I recorded a conversation on my telephone when i was speaking to a person of interest in relation to a uh, child abduction didn't hide the fact but anyway they uh, uh, the organization i worked for uh, charged me and then the courts convicted me so I didn't have a job. I had a criminal record. I couldn't be a private investigator. Couldn't get my license, and uh, I got a lot of offers to go into the media on, on different things. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I, I was sort of filming different things, and uh, News Corp were kind enough to sign me up uh, to uh, do some uh, investigative journalism, which came with uh, also doing podcasts as well. Right. And started off the I Catch Killers podcast. Basically, had no idea what I was doing, and. Uh, my old workmate, Jason Evers, we went to the pub and had a few beers and recorded the conversation, and that was the first episode. And wow. uh, That went well. It was a long-form conversation, and uh, on the back of that, we've, we've continued on and since then done over 400 episodes. Okay, you got what you wanted. No, you? No. So what, what he's trying to ask you, Gary, no. right, because he's got this saying, and he hammers the listeners with it, sometimes the best gifts come badly wrapped. And he's trying <laughs> to set you up, so as if to say, look, it was a bad thing at the time. No, no, no. That's I, what you're trying to do I, when I you're saying, go, Brian. Can I ask you about yeah. the listening device, right? Yeah. Listening device in inverted commas. Don't you have listening devices anyway? What's the difference between yeah. using see, a w- tape recorder and... See, I wish you were the judge. Yeah. <laughs> because, oh, God. Because there were listening devices in the place. And I was worried that the listening device wouldn't work, so I recorded it on my, on my phone. Uh, just and is that illegal? Well, apparently so. I, I believe I had a... You, you could do it, and, uh, yeah, I tried to put this out of my mind, but legislation was along the lines, if you had a lawful reason to... Uh, if you had a reasonable cause to protect your lawful interests. And my interest was I was worried that the person I was speaking to, it wasn't going to be a friendly conversation, would make allegations against me. Gotcha. Yeah, OK, yeah. And so I went down that path, and that, that's why I recorded it. And I didn't make any secret from it. Everyone no. knew it. So I'm not a real good crook if, if, if I went down this, that path. And, and not to... Uh, to, we didn't mean to get in for this conversation, yeah. but how did that come to air? How, how did that? How was that uh, brought to their attention? Uh, there was uh, 
the, the first I knew about it, uh, they had search warrants from my phone and I was taken up to an office and cautioned and uh, that was my sort of the last day of operational policing. Wow. So, yeah, it was uh, a lot done behind the scenes leading up to it and just sort of dropped it on me midstream. But the weekend, and oh, yeah, I know we've gone down a path we didn't expect, no. but no. the weekend uh, before this happened, uh, I got flown up to Tamworth because two police officers have been shot, so I'm overseeing that. Then I come back and there's a murder at Newcastle. Oh, wow. And then on the Tuesday, this gets dropped on me and all of a sudden I'm, uh, I'm too, too bad to uh, work. Um, Gary, let's talk about the podcast. So when you, the first time you sat down with a crook? Yep. Let me say crook? Yeah, you can say crook. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, these colourful gentlemen. When yeah. they tell me, because I was listening to the one with Ron. Um, Isherwood. Isherwood. That was yeah. awesome. And you were saying, I can't, they were saying, because Ron was, was an old crook, yeah. and he goes, I can't believe I'm sitting here talking, talking to you. Did, did, yeah. Does it ever get a little bit hectic like us versus them? Oh, most definitely. And when, uh, when I went into the prison, and, like, normally if we go in as, as cops, you're separated from the prisoners. But they gave me full access to the prison. And, yeah, it might come as a surprise, but I'm not the most popular person in the maximum security <laughs> yeah. prison, being a, a high-profile um, ex-cop coming in there. So there was, uh, there was a couple of uh, interesting times and, yeah, a bit of shit thrown my way. Not literally, but, you know, verbally. And uh, I, I found some people didn't want to talk to me, and I get it. Yeah, like, if they didn't have the shits with me because I put someone in or one of their friends in, they, they don't like the cops. And... Uh, so I had to respect that, but gradually the sort of barriers broke down and I, okay, well, what are you doing walking around here? But I got some strange looks and, uh, yeah, it caused a bit of kerfuffle to so start this, with. This is the new podcast. Yeah. So uh, uh, well, I know we're going get, to get to that, but how did you come up with that idea of going into, into prisons? And yeah. Well, you, you mentioned uh, Ron uh, Isherwood mm. and uh, – on the I Catch Killers podcast, I've had a lot of you know, major league crooks. And uh, for whatever reason, we, we've sort of broken the peace deal and they come on and talk, talk to me and uh, I hit, let them hear their side of it because true crime, and you know, this is True Crime Tuesday, yes. it's not one-dimensional. Yeah. One no. It's uh, from you know, both sides. I know it from the police side. But let the bad guys or reformed bad guys have their say. And... One of them told me, and Bernie Matthews, and he was the uh, longest-serving prisoner in Katingle. He was uh, heavy dude. He spent 30 years armed robber, escapee, that type of thing. I became quite friendly with him after I left the cops. And he, he said to me, yeah, Gary, because he, he, he was dying. I was visiting him when he was dying. And uh, he's gone, yeah, in jail, if you, put, if you treat us like animals, we come out like animals. And that sort of got me thinking about, right. about that. I had some corrective services officers that I became friendly with and they were telling me about this project up in Macquarie uh, Correctional Centre up uh, at Wellington. And they said we're doing things a bit differently in maximum security. We're letting prisoners live in a dorm, which maximum security prisoners living in a dorm, to me that seemed like a recipe for disaster. And they said and we, you know, they've given more freedoms and they're, they're treated with a little bit, let's say, respect and humanity. They're done with the cells. No cells. Yeah, but are these murderers? Yeah, yeah, the, oh. like the the full full range. Yeah, it's uh, there's lifers in there. They're, these are the it's maximum security, and uh, so you had the whole range of prisoners. But they said, well, why don't you come up and have a look? And uh, I, I've said I'd, I'd love to if you think I'm not going to you know cause a riot walking around there. And they said, no, you come in. We're not sure how they'll react, but they'll either talk to you or they won't talk to you. And uh, so I spent a couple of weeks up there and. Uh, had full access to the prison and just getting a sense of what was going on in, in there. 
are you thinking that other jails might follow suit? Like, what's the success rate of these blokes coming out? Yeah, well, well part, part of the thing was about recidivism. In New South Wales, we've got a high recidivism rate. You go in jail and the likelihood yeah. you're going to come back in the jail. And, you know, they, they want to break that cycle. This is getting them the skills that they don't come from this uh, jail, let's call them the traditional jails, where, yeah, and the prisoners were saying to me, you didn't know if you were coming back alive every time you stepped out your cell door. Yeah. And, you know, you're locked up for 18 hours a day. Then you meet these guys up at Macquarie Correctional Centre and they work for seven hours, uh, study for seven hours. They have access to the gym. Um, they've got a gym or a courtyard off their, off their uh, dorm and there's no lockdown to nine o'clock. They can go outside, see the stars. There's, you know, bars over it, obvi obviously. Like, they've got all the, the prevention, or protecting people not escaping. But they give them this freedom. And what I found amazing, this sort of broke me up. Normal jail conflict is resolved. Well, you imagine our jail conflict yeah. is resolved. The, 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 there's bloodshed. With this, in the dorm, if they... Yeah, they don't like you, Fletch. Yeah. They'll, they'll go, OK, well, Joel and Gary have sort of voted you off the island. <laughs> they negotiate and just I, say... I'm out of the door. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, they, they mediate and negotiate and, and all that. And these are... Yeah, they're not just your, your run-of-the-mill nice guys, prisoners that shouldn't be in there. There's some heavy dudes in there, and that's the way they manage the prison. You know what, Bron? When you think about that properly, because I, I would have had the same thought that Gary had initially... But when you think about it, right, once you get past the first few weeks and everyone's sleeping in the dorm, there's been no chaos, because you've been given something that is so far better than what the general mm. prison system is like, you'd be petrified of tripping up and losing it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, they, they said, and this, this got, me, got me thinking too, and this is the corrective services officers there, and it's a better world for them too. There's not that violence that they've got to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis in other prisons. They give them the rewards and then they take them away if they misbehave. Whereas in other prisons, it's more you got nothing. If you behave, we'll give you something, give you something maybe, and you work your way up. But they give them the rewards of freedom and all that. To me, and I, I haven't gone soft since I've left the, left the cops, and it wouldn't work for every prisoner, but to me, it creates a person that's a better person when they're coming out. Because if, if people go into jail, most people come out. And if we can make them come out better people than they went yeah. in, it, it makes sense. And, yeah, I look at it from a victim's point of view. That was my big uh, big thing in, in the cops, making sure the victim's interests are looked after. But um, if we reduce crime, we reduce victims. Yeah. So anyone that says, and I'm sure there's people out there going, no, stuff it, they should be in there breaking rocks and eating uh, bread. And I understand that attitude. But if you think, yeah. yeah. Mm. It's not going soft on crime, it's just going smarter on crime. Gary, just going back to, okay, so you've got, you're out of the coppers. Is there anything stopping uh, current police coming to you as a consultant and saying, because you've got all this experience and you, you, know, you, you know a lot of these criminals, can they come to you and you help them on a case? Or because you've been discharged, is that the word? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, look, I resigned. I wasn't sacked. Right. I, I resigned. I got I charged after I put my resignation papers in. What the purpose of that was, I, I'm not, not sure. Ideally, that would be the situation. And, yeah, I got this wealth of knowledge, yeah. but uh, current serving police uh, generally are not allowed to speak to me because I'm, yeah, this so-called uh, yeah, convicted uh, bad guy. Right. Because I, I got charged. And, but if uh, you could help a case knowing it, oh, surely... I, or is that just... No, it, it, it makes sense. And I, I think just on a bigger, broader issue than just me, it makes sense because when cops, you take away all this experience and a cop, sometimes you just hit the wall and you can't go on anymore mm. and they retire. 
but they've got a wealth of experience. And my specialty was detectives. And I'm thinking, how much knowledge I've got. I still know how to solve a murder. You don't lose that overnight when you've been doing yeah. it as long. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I think there would be benefits of, of relying on the experience that's lost. You know, we've got a fairly young uh, police force at the moment. And having that mentorship, it doesn't have to be me. There's plenty of better detectives than, than me going around that are retired. But getting them looking at cases, I think that would be a real good idea. You know the police, Brian, how brave basically all of them are. Like my dad was a copper and he was one of the first on scene for Nerdy Cobby, which I shared with Gary off air. But when I grew up as a kid, and I've still got dad, but I never once ever saw fear in him. Mm. And when I thought about it, I thought, I see the same with Gary, and I thought, maybe when you, you know, little blokes like myself, and then even you coming through Brian playing rugby league, it's, it looks as though it's terrifying, but bit by bit, incrementally, you get there to the point where you're not one bit scared of running into three blokes who are 100 plus kilos. You're not one bit yeah, scared. Yeah, they don't have Roscoe's. No, that, that's right. That, no, but the point is, like, <laughs> yeah. the but, policemen and police women, you become so immune to it, don't you? Like, I never see fear yeah. ever in my dad. He's not a big guy. Yeah, yeah. You, you become battle scarred. Uh, I, I describe it that way, and that's I, I see it. Uh, I see it with you know, detectives. You can't shock me. Like, I, what you're going to shock me? I, I've seen everything you, you, the world's got to got to offer. Um, so you become that. You become seasoned with the years and years of experience. And I, I'd say this: like all the time that I, I went to work in the, in the cops, I learnt every day. Like every day, I, I, I learnt something, and you just put it in that knowledge bank. And so when you turn up at the crime scene, and I've seen this before. I know this. You, know, you, you get that instinct to what's going on. I was trained by people that had that. There was one, I had a, some great mentors, but one bloke, Paul Mager, was my boss for about uh, 10 years. And, uh, yeah, he'd just sit there quietly, wouldn't be doing a great deal. Didn't have to on the simple murders, but if it got complicated, you'd get, go to him and he could dissect it quick, smart, and that's experience. Yeah. Know? I suppose it's like on the football field, an experienced player on the field. Yeah, has been there, done that. You know when the, the game's turning and, and what to do. Gary, what about all this drama now with all the bikies and uh, this Middle Eastern crime going on? Do you just sit back and just think, thank God I'm not in the cops anymore? Or are you sitting back going, geez, I wish I was still there to get me teeth into this? Look, the, I, I, I don't want to be that cop that's retired and still want to do yeah, something. Yeah. But between you and me, and if no one else is, is listening, yeah. there's times where I, I, I look at... That's correct. Uh, oh. <laughs> is he a rating? I, I, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, for your mum. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but I, I, I would like to... Yeah, when I see it, it's like a challenge. Uh, yeah. It's like I, I see crimes, and I try not. And I'm, I'm getting better the longer I stay out of the cops. But you see, if I see a murder or, or something going on, I'm thinking I, I'd like to get involved in that. I'd like when to I was listening to Ron, uh, that Ron, what you were talking yeah. about, I could sort of resonate with him. Like, he was a sort of a knockabout, and he was saying all these things. He was talking yeah. about Balmain and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And I go, whereas I'm looking at these gangsters now, and they, they don't seem to have the... Yeah. Us, you know, I, I know they're bad people, yeah. but they don't seem to have... Like, I think you were talking about there was like a code... I noticed it in the time I was in the police, and if we talk bikies, because everyone understands yeah. the, the, the bikey culture, that... The old school bikies, they they had a way of doing uh, way of doing things, and uh, yeah, normally they'd settle their business in house, or yeah, it wouldn't be on, on the main street. Then it started to escalate. I was in gang squad um, when the airport, you know, the between the hills yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that happened. And I'd been out that night, and I think there'd been seven houses shot up. I was the on call inspector, and uh, it was it was just escalating. 
and we just did not have the resources to you know rein, rein it in at, at that time. And then when the um, thing happened at the uh, airport, that's when Strike Force Raptor was formed, and okay, well enough is enough because they've they've done it in public. What I'm seeing with the crimes here in Sydney, and I, I'm on the outside, I'm, I'm looking from the outside, yes. so I haven't got any inside knowledge, is they're becoming more brazen and it's almost making a statement. If you shoot someone in the main street and leave the body there, that, that's you, you're trying to make a statement that's sort of escalating yep. like that. And, yeah, that's where problems, that's where innocent people get caught up in the in the violence. Just on the Raptor squad, yeah. how, like, how do they choose that? Is that like, is it, if I'm going to put it in rugby league terminology, do you got to be an origin player to get into into Raptor, or are they? Do you get hand picked? How, how does the Raptor? They, they they formed it to take on the bikies, so they so wanted. So they're pretty tough dudes. Yeah, yeah. Generally, uh, yeah, they were. And in in my time when uh, Raptor came in, they they were good. They did, uh, and I'm not saying they're not good now. I, I just don't know. But they were people that were pretty uh, pretty willing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember one uh, one fella, and he was the world's toughest, nerdy-looking bloke, but he was a good uh, good boxer. And yeah, uh, yeah people, people would have a go at him, and you just think you have no idea what you're about to, what he's about to unleash. And it didn't always get violent, but they were they were competent people right. too. They they didn't have to take a backward step, if I say that. I've got a mate. Uh, I've shared this story with you before, Brian. Uh, what was the the Galos used to be across the Coogee Bay Hotel? Didn't yes. They? And a mate of mine who you've just yep. uh, described perfectly, that, that same sort of person, yep. you know it can throw on, but unassuming. Yep. He's sitting in the gutter, a bit hung, having a, having a pie. And the Barmy Army sort of turn up and they start singing 5 0, 5 0, 5 0. Right? Sorry, sorry, the Australians are singing yeah. to yeah. the Barmy Army. Yeah. So all of a sudden the Barmy Army peak up. They think he's the one who's been singing the song. They start going for him. Yeah. My little mate's dusted about three or four of them up. Yeah. And then there's a silence. And next thing they start up again, six nil, six nil, six nil, and fired up. Are you in a rush to go? go? Nah, 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 we'd love to keep good. you because six yeah. to go play. We've got to break very, very shortly. Yeah. Just on, you mentioned the William Tyrrell case. Yep. Uh, I know it's very difficult for you to go into proper details, but for those who don't know, where's it at right now? It's, uh, well, you've got a couple of things happening with the William Tyrrell matter. You've got a, uh, a coroner's matter coming up, which I believe is going to be in the early new year now. Yeah, when I left the police four years ago, they were going to wrap up the coroner's matter, and they still haven't wow. wrapped up the coroner's matter. So it's not, uh, uh, you know, before time. So that comes out. It's also, and I, I don't like to add, add fuel to it because I think it was disgraceful the way it was released to uh, released in in the media that a person I won't name the person, I'll point the finger, but uh, a brief of evidence, or not a brief of evidence, a, a you know, a report was put to the DPP to see if there was uh, warrant charges on a particular person. That was six months ago, and we still haven't heard from that. So my take, and yeah, bear in mind, I, I've got a vested interest in, uh, in the William Tyrrell matter. I'm not, not sitting here yeah, uh, as not involved in it. I led the investigation yeah. for four years. But I am not... I, I don't like the way it's been played out in the media. I think you know, there, there needs to be some sort of uh, inquiry about what's gone on with the William Tyrrell matter. So Can I ask you this? Just a... a what what is the coroner matter? What 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 is that? I know the coroner goes and says how the yeah. child or victim was killed, but why isn't this done been done before? Because what happens if if and let's not talk William no. Tyrrell, yeah. just something Any, general, yeah, just yes. to give you, give you a sense. We can come back to the William Tyrrell thing, but if someone is, dies in suspicious circumstances, I'll call the homicide out. Yeah. We'll we'll start the investigation. Treat it as a homicide investigation. If we don't get a result on the investigation, the matter's got to be referred to the coroner. Yep. So William's disappearance was, um, yeah, uh, what, to almost ten years ago. Um, 
that has now it hasn't been resolved. No one's been charged with his abduction or his murder, and uh, it's gone before the coroner. So the coroner then determines. Right. Uh, we do have to break, but I tell you what, he's been kind enough. Gary Jubilant, True Crime Tuesday. Breaking Badness is the podcast, so breakingbadness.com.au. Gary's going to stick around, which uh, our listeners and, and most certainly us, Brian, are yeah. pumped about that. Brian Fletcher hasn't the board started to fire up. They're loving our guest who has, quite kindly, he's got the set restart, six to go play on. He's hanging around for a bit more action. Yeah, I think he might get a burger in you. Yeah, why not? You're watching what you eat, obviously. Oh, let's, let's, talk, no. let's talk. Gary Jubilant we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. Gaz. Um, you, you, yeah. I, know, look, I know we want to talk about the, the sort of crime stuff, but what are you doing for your... Do, what, you, I, you, do you drink? I, yeah, yeah. I, I drink. I look at it this way. I train so I can live the life I want to live. Yeah. As in, if I want to get on the drink, I get on the drink. If I want to eat, I eat. I, I try to eat, eat healthy and, uh, you look good. and that. But, uh, That's yeah. the key. You look, like, you look like Ronnie Palmer did... Ten years ago. Oh, oh, oh no! <laughs> Don't tie me yeah. with Ronnie. Palmer. He's got Ronnie covered. <laughs> Did you ever play footy as a kid? No, soccer was my game. Soccer. Yeah, yeah. Love, love the, uh, love the soccer. Right. Yeah. Where yeah. did you grow up? Uh, round Epping area. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you just so love soccer. The soccer was my thing, and the, yeah, back in those days it was called wog ball. So yeah. you were sort of ostracised because you played soccer. But that, that was that was my thing. I, I love so- soccer and uh, boxing, martial arts, and all that. that that's my sort of okay. thing I enjoy. Um, nowadays, what what do you like watching the UFC? And stuff is that, uh, I like it. I like it when they're on their feet. Yeah, uh, and only because I don't understand the grappling as much. Uh, when when they when they're on the feet, boxing is my go-to uh, yeah. go-to uh, thing in watching with the sport. Yeah. What other interests you like, Gaz? Uh, uh, yeah, this might sound sound weird, but with my well, it's not that weird. With, with my training. Years ago, I started doing a lot of meditation yeah, and right. uh, a thing called Qigong, which is like Tai Chi, but it's sort of a moving form of meditation, uh, similar to Tai Chi and yoga and that type of stuff. So I got right into that and I that balanced out like I'd, I'd train hard and that was the soft training. So I followed that path a little bit and that, that's helped. When I, when I got in, uh, when it all blew up in the cops, it was sort of handy to just, you know, with the world sort of spinning out, I could sit down and just, uh, yeah. you know, chill out a bit, bit of meditation. So, yeah, uh, it does make me the most zen person, but yeah. it makes me more zen than I would be <laughs> without it, if that makes sense. What about the sliding doors of your life? So, you've had such a career in the force. Yeah. Um, how did you fall into that? Were you always, as a kid, did you want to go and be a detective? Was it, how did you land nah. on that? I, I look. I, I had no aspirations of being a, a cop. That wasn't my thing. I, I was trying to get away from the cops. You know, yeah. in in the what we all do when you you grow up. The you were a scallywag as a kid. Scallywag's yeah. a nice way of putting it. Oh right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll run with scallywag. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I I got in the building trade. Yep. My old man was in the in the building trade, and then I um I was literally on a hot day. I was a sparky, and I was. Up in the ceiling, I came out, and I'm thinking, this is a shit job, crawling yeah. around in the, the dust-filled ceiling at, uh, you know, 40 degrees. And I saw uh, two cops chasing a bad guy down the road, and I, uh, yeah, that's what I want to do. That yeah, looks like fun. And I dead set applied the next day, and that was, a, that was that sliding door moment. If I hadn't seen that, I probably wouldn't have been a cop. Did you ever look uh, at pulling out of the job, and what was your first sort of real dose of this is what policing's about? Uh, 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 lots of different things, incremental sort of things. I, I remember, well, one low point, and you have, have some low points. I was running an operation where the uh, suspect was shot and killed, and 
I remember that day. I, I'm thinking I, I, when I came home, and yeah, you you're told don't go out on the drink, go home, see your families, and all that. So we did what cops did yeah. back in those days. Got on the drink. Or went out on the drink, and I remember going home that night, and uh, I just felt I, I didn't. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Bip. Do it again, I'll go beep. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I thought that's not what you want to uh, join the police for. Yeah, you know, seeing someone like that and a few other incidents that you think, yeah, enough of it. And then um, as a detective, sometimes you get yourself really into a dark world. And I, I had a pretty quick bounce back, so I could be, oh, I don't want to face this. There was yeah. a couple of jobs where it was just really dark and... What I've found since I've left the cops, I didn't realise how much it impact on you when you're on call the whole time. And basically, in homicide, every six weeks you'd be on call. If there's any murder in the state, you'd be called to it. And generally, you'd, you'd get called to one or, one or two during that period. You could end up anywhere. Or you're running a case where the phone rings at the middle of the night. And for, for the first sort of uh, six months after out of the cops, I kept looking at my phone, why is it not ringing? Because you used to get called out all the time and now it's just so nice to get in the bed and think, I can sleep. Peace I, of I'm, mind. I'm not going to get called out. And, hey, G- Gary, I, I was listening to, um, and I was reading in the paper about Queensland coppers, how they, that they're struggling to get numbers and they're offering yeah. money up front. It, have we got the same problem down here in New South Wales, do you think? I, uh, full credit to New South Wales. They've, they've done something that I, I had problems with for a long time. But for the last, it might have been the last 10 years or so, it wasn't in my time, it wasn't when I joined. You had to pay to go through the academy. And I think it kept a lot of people out, men and women, that couldn't afford to, you know, they might have had young families or at a stage in life where they needed an income and they couldn't afford to pay. Now they're getting uh, subsidised for going to the academy. That, that's a big thing. I don't know if it's more money they need. Like, and I, I might get shouted down here. I, I think, you know, police get paid pretty well, I, I think. Now, yeah. uh, and I'm probably going against the, the, the grain here. But I, I think just they need to encourage people that they want to be police. Policing is, to my way of thinking, a passion. It should be a vocation. You want to do it, whether they're going to pay you or not. I didn't look at, oh, I've worked a, an hour's overtime or no. whatever. The job was on. You were just in, interested in the job. So I think the attraction's got to be the interest in the job. I'm a big advocate for it. I reckon it's a great job. There's so many different things, different paths you can go down to. And I, I look at the career I had, I'd, I'd sign up for again in a, in a heartbeat. I, I enjoyed it. And, yeah, it had its highs and its lows. But I think policing, they've just got to promote that. And, uh, yeah, that might so attract if people. So if you're a young boy or young male or female who's out there, they're 19 or 20, and you're, they're thinking about getting the coppers, you're, you're, you'd say go for it. I, I'd say go for it with the cautionary part that it will change you. Now, yeah. how it changes you, well, that depends the type of person you, you are. But it'll come at a price at some stage. It, it will change you. But, yeah, there, there's plenty of uh, different paths you can go down in, in policing. But... Think of it as a uh, passion. You've got to be passionate about mm. it. You're doing something. Yeah, I, I enjoyed so much working homicide because of what I was doing with the, uh, the, the victims. Gary, um, I Catch Killers, a uh, very, very popular podcast. So you're going to continue doing that as well? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, now, just tell us about those who are driving the car, perhaps going home. They've just knocked off work. We are talking to Gary Jubilant. Breaking Badness, can you give us the bullet points again on yeah. Breaking Badness, the podcast? Okay, Breaking Badness is a six-part podcast series where I've been given access to go behind the walls of a maximum security prison, a Macquarie Correctional Centre that's doing prison a little bit different in that 
they're giving the prisoners more freedom and the theory being it prepares them better for life when they get outside. It's maximum security prison, so the bad guys are in there. You know, the, the murderers, drug dealers, armed robbers, everyone's in there. They're, it's a maximum security prison. My way of thinking and my access to it gave me a real insight into it. And I'm of the view that if they go in the prison and come out better people, everyone's a winner. Yep. Like, I, uh, yeah, yeah, punishment Punishment to me is them being taken away from uh, society. Uh, that's their punishment, taken away from their families. Having said that, there's certain, certain prisoners that I don't care about. The nature of their crime, they don't warrant the second chance. No. And, yeah, I, I'm not, it's not for everyone. And even the prisoners themselves, when I'm, I'm speaking to people, they were acknowledging the fact that uh, this wouldn't work for every, everyone. And there was actually a murderer I was, I was speaking to in the prison. He said, look, I know people are going to be up in arms about this, but the reality is whether we've murdered someone or whatever, we will be released at, at some stage. And it's better for us to come out, yeah, equipped to cope with uh, cope with all the world, the freedoms that the world has to offer. Gary, go back in time when you were like interviewing someone, a suspected murderer, or someone yeah. who's done a horrific crime. How do you keep you cool and not get up on the other side? Like, because I'd imagine yeah. they'd be a smartass to I, you. Yeah, they do. And I, I use one example, and I, I won't name the particular person, but he was a, a murdering pedophile, a really nasty piece of work, and an evil human being. And I was interviewing him, and he's making admissions to the crime. And I could see he was trying to shock me, with, and it was horrific in yeah. what he was telling me. And he wanted, this was, he'd only been out of jail for a short time, and he'd been in jail for abducting the young child and, and spent a lot of time in jail, then got out, only out for a short time, and he's done it again, and, uh, and murdered someone this, this time. That was the highlight of his life. This was he's going back to the jail for the rest of his yeah. life, and he wanted to go back and just fond memories. He was getting off when he was reliving the crime. The way, yeah, you do. Anyone would want to lean over and, and belt yeah. him, but your job as a detective is, is oh, no, obviously not to do that. And then you've let you're actually not doing your job. You, you, you're stuffing up, and it's not the right thing to do. But the way I got at him was um, just ignore him. Yeah. Like he's telling me, and I'm treating it like it's a break and enter. And then the idiot's sitting in the charge dock. And if you spend long enough in the room, you get this rapport with someone. Yeah, we've been in the room for four or five hours. I'm walking past and he's looking at me thinking I'm going to say something or you know, growl at him or, or whatever. And I just ignored him. And it was I think it was summer. So I just said to everyone in the police station, just ignore him, just ignore him. And we'd talk about the cricket or the football or whatever, and he's okay, just sitting yeah. there. Yeah. And there he is. This is big moment in life, and we've just stolen away from you're him. You're not paying him for it. You're, you're, you're yeah. insignificant. We yeah. don't care about you. And, yeah, that's the way I got back. But to get back at him, answering your question first up, the best way you get back at him is just nail him with making sure it's a professional investigation so okay. there's no wiggle room. Right. That, that's, because that's, if you clipped him... You're, yeah, you, you can't. Get out? Uh, well, potentially, potentially, no. you could jeopardise it. So you just make sure you you cover, you, you nail them on every issue that you can, and make sure you've you've got them beat. Clearly, you can't name anyone here, and maybe there isn't a name to name. But have you gone through the court process where, in your eyes, you are absolutely ironclad that this person is guilty, but for whatever reason? they were proven not guilty. Or not proven not guilty, but they were announced as not guilty. Yep, yep, I have. And it, it, it sits hard, but you, you've got to, yeah, accept the, the court's decision. Um, Push them, uh, yeah, the, the Barrable case where three Aboriginal children were, uh, were murdered and the person was acquitted of one of the murders. 
on the back of protests from the community where they marched on parliament and different things, they changed legislation that brought in double jeopardy legislation, which means if you have been acquitted of a crime and fresh and compelling evidence comes in, you can potentially be retried. It hasn't come in, it's in legislation, but it hasn't, hasn't worked at this mm. stage, but at least there's something there that you can get a, another go at it. But from a personal point of view, it's devastating, mm. but probably more so to the families of, yeah. of the victim, the ones that, that see it. But yeah, I, I know there's been times when people have literally got away with murder and yeah, that's the rules. And I respect the rules that you know, you've, you've got to have the checks and balances. Can I ask you a question? Because we're talking about this yesterday on a, on a far lower scale. Um, we're talking about Josh Giddy and, and the allegations against him and how his name's been blasted everywhere. Now, I've long held the view, but I'm sure there's smarter people than me and reasons as to why it doesn't happen. But I, I personally don't believe a person should be named for anything, really, until they are proven guilty. Therefore, we are genuinely giving people, you know, um, innocent until proven guilty. I know that the media can also play a, a yeah. case in announcing people's names and yeah. putting the pressure on that way. Do you have an opinion on what it's, I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I know, and it's such a contentious contentious thing. And uh, I, I've got you know, views, depending on the circumstances, there, there's some horrendous stuff that go, goes on. And I've been criticised as police officer, a police officer on releasing information, which I didn't. Mm. But... Uh, I understand the criticism there, and I certainly understand your view. There's an argument that put forward that you need transparency in the justice system. So, yeah, if someone's been charged with something that's in the public's interest, and I use the example of sexual assault um, with the pedophiles, let's say. If someone's nominated as uh, being charged with that, invariably other victims come forward. So there is a, is, gotcha. is a benefit to that. So yeah. if we go down... The path that you're suggesting, which I, I'm, I'm not totally against, I, I understand it, but you might, uh, there might be barriers there. But it's such a complex thing, and it does play out in the media sometimes. I, uh, flipping the question a little bit, I think part of the problem with the justice system is all the evidence doesn't come out. Yeah, you know, the, the courts are very narrow in what is treated as evidence. Now they'll say that it's because you know, we're, you know, we're smarter than you. We we've set the legislation. This thing's not admissible. I use the example with a, a jury. If someone appears before a jury trial, invariably there's information that's not passed on to the jury because they think it'll be too prejudicial. In that, let's say you've been convicted of an assault mm. and you're up for another assault, they won't let the jury know that you've been convicted of an assault, even gotcha. though you might have assaulted people. You know half a dozen times. So it's a complex thing, but yeah, I, I, I do have problems with the way people get hung out the dry trial by media. Because um, quite often, and now working in the media, the interest is when they're charged, by the time they're acquitted, no one's really interested. So it sort of, yeah, it doesn't really balance out. We've got a, we've got a text here through, uh, through Gaz. It says, can you ask Gary about youth crime? It seems like there's no respect for authority. I was going to ask you about that, but it's, it's all up in the Brisbane Gold Coast area, I'm seeing that. Yeah. Because my brother lives up there. He's a fiery up there and he's saying it's out of control. Yeah. I wanted to know yeah, about the kids. What happens if you get pinched? Are they just getting put back out in the street? Because, Brian, we, we were petrified of police as, as, yeah. as children, yeah. weren't we? Yeah. I know. And it's funny because I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm talking about in prison, if we treat people with humanity, it, it's better. I think... We've got to be hard on kids at that stage because you can make a difference. That's another thing that uh, Bernie Matthews uh, said, and I, I, 
I reference him because he'd been right through the system. He, he's saying sometimes if we're too old, it's too hard to change. You can make a difference as kids. I see it time and time again where kids go off, off track and if there's one good person in their life steering them in the right path or her in the right path, it can make a hell of a, hell of a difference. But, yeah, youth crime, we've got to get that respect back for the police. They tried something, or not tried, they still do it as far as I know, but up in uh, Redfern where the police were going boxing with the kids in the morning and, and yeah. different things like that. Um, Shane Phillips still does some work up there with Indigenous kids at uh, uh, Redfern. And I, I think that type of situation is a good thing bring that respect in but why are the kids going bad like i'm hearing what goes on up in uh, yeah. queensland as well and it's frightening isn't it, it? have you ever seen it so bad like with with drugs like ice is like seems to be people are saying oh you know it's it's rife in all these country towns but it must be rife everywhere yeah, yeah. Uh, ice ice is a problem and i i saw it the the sort of latter part of my mm. uh, my career that uh it does have some terrible consequences and the addiction is you know, quite quite strong um, and people have access to it. Yeah. How do you restrict that? You know, do you legalise some drugs? You know, the pill testing, there's so many different layers to it. How, how, do you, how do you stop it? But I think we've just got to give kids purpose and there's got to be consequences yeah. for actions. Yeah. I, I, I believe in that. I, I think I, I just... Do you blame the parents sometimes? I, I think, well, you blame the parents. If you slap a kid, you could be charged with assault. Yeah, you know, yeah. Where my old man would give me a kick up the ass if yeah. I did the wrong thing and I didn't do the wrong thing after that. Yep. <laughs> you learnt. So, yeah, I, I'm a bit old school, but old yeah. school is so... Um, you, you can't go down that path now. But I think there needs to be discipline because if you don't have discipline, we'd all go off track. Yeah, well, I totally agree well, with that. Well, this is what Cam says. Cam's text where he goes, boys, with youth crime, from where I come from, unfortunately, juvenile detention is better living conditions than their homes. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, I, I, I don't know where it comes from, but that's, uh, that's sad too, yeah. where, yeah, it's easier in, in that environment. So, yeah, where there's breakdown in, uh, in communities where to going, going into detention is better than, uh, better than home. And, Gaz, how many episodes have we got on Breaking Badness? We've got, uh, we got six, six episodes, and it just takes us on the journey through, yeah, um, yeah where the prisoners, yeah, speak to me whether they'll speak to me uh, to start with because they didn't first up they, yeah. they didn't uh, which yeah I understood but you're not asking them on air or on podcast you're not are you asking what they did no we, no. we don't we, we don't identify we don't yeah. identify them but we talk about their crime yeah. so you'll be hearing someone talk and we'll reference the fact that well this is yeah you know, oh, we'll hear we'll hear the prisoner's voice oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's the prisoners are the main main oh, voice yeah. on there that that was the interesting interesting part about it so I'm walking around the prison and uh, when they did decide to talk well what have you got to say and they would uh, it, you know tell me what they said they said well, <laughs> there was one funny part where I uh, uh, this was in a, a, a more traditional prison but it was in a, a, a heavy section and there are formed around me and you know there was a bit of toing and froing and all that and they got they got to start speaking to me and uh, I said uh, something like um, so yeah I'm here to find out what you guys need so yeah I'll give you a voice what do you need and some smart ass has gone a set of keys <laughs> <laughs> is there someone that wanted to be interviewed and you found out what they did what sort of crime and you went nah you're not coming on well yeah we mentioned the Anita, Anita Cobby thing and yeah. uh, I was walking through um, the prison and uh, I saw one of the uh, murderers there yeah. and he came up and wanted to talk and I, I didn't yeah. talk to him now. Yeah, I'm, I'm meant to be going in there and uh, you know talking to uh, talking to everyone to get their views. But there's some people that have crossed the line, and I 
quite frankly don't care yeah. about now, that person. You don't have to answer this, but I'll ask you, Sugar. Mm. Do you believe we should be able to have capital punishment here for certain crimes? Oh, yes. I know um, it's pretty heavy. I know it's heavy, <laughs> but I, uh, the way Gaz was talking about that, I'm going to uh, drop an F-bomb now. Yeah. You I, know, I, the murdering, that smart-ass yeah. Okay, by the way you frame the question, I'll answer it by saying I agree with you. Oh, well, just those those yeah. people that you said was a murdering pedophile yeah. bastard. Yeah. I, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. When it's beyond doubt, when there's yeah. when it's absolutely yeah. beyond doubt, I don't know why everyone's mucking around with it. I, I do agree with yeah, that. Yeah, look, I don't, I, I don't know if it makes any difference. Yeah. Well, can uh, they be reformed? They, they can't be reformed, no. and we've got to pay for them, but maybe pay for them, and hopefully they'll, they you know, won't enjoy their life. But, yeah, yeah. Is that I, too heavy, Brooks? There's our producer shaking his head. Is that too heavy, Brooksy? <laughs> just just wink, just blink twice. Calls on. <laughs> he, he was a suspect only on, on Sunday. Yeah, so but not for that. How can we ask him? Yeah. But, yeah, I, look, I, uh, we were talking before we got on air about John Killick, the uh, fellow that um, escaped from Silverwater yeah. Prison in the helicopter. I know John well now, and we, we catch, catch up a bit, but... He was down in uh, Pentridge Prison when they hung the last person. He was uh, he was actually in the prison there, and uh, he said it was just a horrible, horrible um, situation. And and not talking from you know prisoners obviously, yeah. but someone being walked to the gallows and, and all that. And I don't know if we've got the stomach for it. Yeah, but don't you uh, anyway? Yeah. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. No. Uh, the podcast, Breaking Badness, breakingbadness.com.au, supported by the Daily Telegraph. Uh, and the Gap- other one, I Catch Killers, that's a beauty as well. Gary, we've had some big guests on here. Yesterday we had Todd Gurley, we've had Scotty Pippen the last few months, yeah. we've had some massive guests. Yeah, this- I reckon this has been about as good as we've had, yeah. Brian. This goes straight to the top. Straight to the top. On Power True Prong Tuesday. Gaz, 60-year-old, look yeah. at him, he looks 40. Do you, do, you, do you say that to all the guests? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you're our first guest. <laughs> uh, Gary Jubilant, thank you very much, mate. Right. We really appreciate Thanks, that. Thanks, guys. Enjoy mate. We'll be uh, promoting the podcast as it keeps coming out. Um, episode one is Conviction. Uh, you can catch up on that. Breaking Badness via News Corp. Investigation podcast. Gary Jubelin on fire. The text board of apologies. We couldn't possibly get to all those text messages coming in. Uh, we've loved it as much as you.